Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Advantage and a bonus episode of the DFS Today podcast. I am joined by a frequent guest of mine on The Advantage, but before I introduce him, I want to break something down for all you DFS Today listeners. As you guys know, I have been doing a takeover of this podcast feed through the NFL season, but just to let you guys know, my home, my my bread and butter... What butters the biscuit is what I always say, is the NBA season. I am at my core an NBA junkie, an NBA better, a basketball guy. I have a dog named LeBron. I am basketball through and through and an NBA guy to the core. And often on my podcast, The Advantage, I do a lot of NBA content. So this episode is going to be coming out on both the DFS Today and The Advantage feed, But for you DFS Today listeners, this is a glimpse into what I do on The Advantage. It is a ode so that you guys go subscribe to my podcast feed, The Advantage. Follow me on Twitter where I will also post links to the episodes that are only going on The Advantage. And you will start to get incoming NBA content. I do not do NBA DFS. In fact, my guest today is the best NBA DFS person I even know. We'll introduce him in a minute. I am not going to be doing NBA DFS content on this podcast feed for the upcoming season. I will continue doing NFL stuff here, and I will continue doing NBA stuff on the advantage. So if you like this episode, if you are an NBA person, gambler, follower, fan, whatever, make sure you also subscribe, I can't speak today, to the advantage so you can get NBA content when the season starts in two weeks. Okay. Today's episode is NBA futures and NBA prop bets and some player props for some season-long averages and stuff like that. There's tons of odds that came out on DraftKings, and I talk about this all the time. When the book drops lines, we need to look at them, try and take advantage of them, and jump on them before the market reacts to them so we can find value before all the public and the sharps come in. So let's get into this groove of NBA talk a little bit before the rest of the sports media. While everyone else is focused on week five, let's make sure we handicap some NBA. I'd like to welcome a regular guest of mine on The Advantage. If you listen to The Advantage, you know who I'm talking about. The DFS Dynamo, the player prop professional, Florida's finest, Eric Katz, a.k.a. Cool E, welcome back. It's been a minute. How have you been? Say what up to all your loyal Advantage fans. How you doing, Cooley? Good, Mike. Glad to be back. Hope everyone's listening. We're going to have a good take today and a bunch of uh, lines and players and, and, and futures. So uh, this will be an interesting one. Thanks for having me. You are welcome back. Anytime there's NBA stuff to talk about, you are one of my first calls that I make. I'm glad you were available to give me this bonus episode. But Eric, before we get into the NBA content, into the weeds of the NBA season, what mm-hmm. I want to quickly talk about is a little like gambling tutorial about futures betting. So sit tight for just a minute. Let me keep rambling on for another few. And then we're going to get into the thick of things when it comes to these bets, these lines, what we're seeing and what we're reading for this 2022-2023 NBA season. So, guys, when it comes to betting futures, my number one tip is you have to always be aware of the end date and the cash-out date of your bets. Now, today is Wednesday, October 5th. 
We are placing bets for the 2022-2023 NBA season. These are not going to be cashed out until June when the playoffs start and the regular season ends. We, if we're betting on awards, that's potentially not until after the playoffs when they announce the awards. So you need to know that today on Wednesday, October 5th, you, may be, you might be placing bets that you will not see any return on until next June. That money is going to stay pending in your account for months, meaning you cannot bet it into other spaces, meaning the more you invest in futures bets, the less flexibility you have in the now. That should be very straightforward. The more of your account that is tied up in pending futures means you have less ability to work with available cash right now. For this reason, I personally will try and always have less than 50% of my account and my bankroll invested in futures. Between the NBA and the NFL, that's about 35 units. I have seven, a little under 17 units invested in the NFL futures right now. Those will cash out in January or February when the NFL season ends. And then I will continue having NBA about 20 units of NBA futures as well. Now, if we think about this, if we have 35% of our of 35 units in futures at 1.2% per unit, that's nearly a 50% of your account in futures bets. If you think about a busy college Saturday, football Sunday, wherever you bet a lot, there's a lot of games going on at once, you might potentially have 25 units going into football Sunday. I think so far this week I've had, I mean not this week, this season in the NFL, I've had a single Sunday where I bet 19 units. So if we're thinking about 50% of the account tied up in futures, betting another 19 units, which is above 25% of my account, and then having only 25% of my account remaining in available wages. So again, it all comes back to this, the more you have tied up, the less flexibility you have now, and you want to always maintain flexibility because when lines come up, you need to go take advantage of them. So don't hesitate to jump on a futures bet, but always be aware, when is this going to cash out? When could I get this money back? And how much of my total account is this going to be tied up in personal bets? Eric, is there anything you want to add to that discussion about futures no, betting? You, no, you said it succinctly, Mike. Um, allocate the amount that you can toward futures if you really like something, but understand that that's a six-month hold in, in general, four to six months. So, um, you know, if you're aware of that, which you should be, um, given the, the, the bets will state the, the final result and it will generally be an end of the season or post-season bet. So, um, yeah, be aware and have money allocated toward uh, daily betting if, if you want to and if you want to invest all in futures and you're comfortable with that, that's fine too. But, you know, like Mike was saying, under 50 is probably a good number. So you have a good cash flow to uh, continue betting throughout the year. And then my last point, Eric, to bounce off that would be just remember what tickets you have in your futures, in your pending wages that are dead, that are lost wages right. that you should consider no longer part of your account. On the flip side, Never consider a win a win until it's cashed and then in your account. So don't bank on, oh, I'm going to have this because 
Embiid's going to win the MVP. It's a month left in the season. Everyone's talking about it. I'm going to win $500. I could go bet more. No. Nope. No. No, no, no. Wait mm-hmm. until Embiid actually wins MVP. We saw Joker come and take it late last season. And stuff like that happens. So don't consider a win a win until it cashes. On the flip side of that, here's a great example. In the NFL right now, I have a Devontae Adams and a Najee Harris MVP ticket. They're both for one-tenth of a unit, and they were both at like 350 to 1 odds. I simply figured that with the Vegas Raiders with Devontae or with the Pittsburgh Steelers with Najee, if these teams happen to win 10 or 11 games, the volume is going to come on offense from one of those two guys on their respective teams, and they would have gotten the ESPN credit, and they would have been in the hunt for MVP the same way Jonathan Taylor or Cooper Cup was last season. And if I had a 350-1 to ticket, it would then allow me to hedge to the right Mahomes or, or Josh Allen or Brady or Jalen Hurts or whatever quarterback was clearly becoming the guy if I had the position player that was also emerging as the guy. However... It's not going to be Najee. It's not going to be Devontae Harris. We are four weeks into the season, and those tickets are dead. Dead. We don't need to worry about them. So I need to know that 0.2 units of my account are gone. I need to know when I recalculate my unit size after a big winning day and I want to scale up my bet, I need to account for lost wages already sitting in my pending balance subtract that from my account, and then recalculate my unit size based on what is actually real, pending, potentially available, and available to bet now. I hope that all makes sense. One other thing to discuss before we talk about actual lines and things, and these are early NBA season betting concepts. We need to talk about how you approach betting early in the NBA season. Now, I hope this content isn't too freaking boring because it is really important. And the first thing to know when you're entering an NBA season is to bet the unders. Every year, we see the foul rate in the NBA dip. We see the, we're not going to call the Trey Young when the player's riding their back or the James Harden little push off with the ball and then throw the hands in the air, fake the contact, make it look like it's worse than it is. The refs tighten up early in the season. They let that stuff go. They don't call those fouls. It leads to less free throws, less fouls, less stoppage in play, more tired players, uh, weaker shooting, and therefore unders, less scoring. You want to pound unders early in the season. You want to pick out the right spots. You don't want to just blindly bet every under. You don't want to bet the Grizzlies under because they try and play with the most pace and tempo of anyone. But you do want to pick your spots and then – reflect back on the first first month of the season and say 75% of the total bets that I placed were on unders. Only 25% of my bets on totals were overs because I was playing into early NBA season trends. Eric, you got a reaction to that? Taking unders early in the season? Yeah, no, totally. And like you said, Mike, put it in perspective. You know, if, if you really want to be serious, recognize pace, tempo of play, you know, defensive metrics. Now it's going to be a new year, so it's hard to evaluate. But just if teams generally have the same lineup, which most do, um, and same coaching philosophy, identify these things and take that into account when you're taking an under. That's, you know, probably the best time you're going to take a line because it's generally not um, 
I, I guess Vegas will will make the amount lower, kind of um, identifying all of Mike's points that that's generally how the season starts, but not significantly. So totally agree. It's going to be right of that threshold where they make it a little lower. So that mm-hmm. other people in the public think, oh, I want to bet the over, but still the right bet is actually the under. Sure. Sure. Um, Eric, I have a question for you because you brought up something that is one of my next points when it comes to early NBA season betting trends. Do you mm-hmm. think the coaching philosophy matters more or the players on the roster in projecting the way that team is going to come out early in the season? I think it's a multitude of factors. For example. Um, What's Can up, I give Mike? you an example? Sure. For example, the Memphis Grizzlies shoot lights out in the first quarter. They play with the most up-tempo pace. We know philosophy mm-hmm. of a team like the Grizzlies is take their team total first quarter over if it's under 30 points. This team runs and guns. They shoot a lot of threes. They have that starting lineup with Bain that just jacks them up and jaw penetrating. Mm-hmm. Do you think... That is a Taylor Jenkins philosophy, and we could just ride another Jenkins team to first quarter overs early in the season? Or do you think we should look back and say, oh, no, we're not sure. Triple J's not going to be there anymore. Melton's not going to be there. They have a bunch of rookies. I don't know if I'm going to play into that. What do you think when you approach? Are you going coaching philosophy will will show the way or the players on the court? Yeah, I, I think, like I was going to say, that it's it's a multitude of factors. But, you know, alongside coaching philosophy and the players you have, it's historical data. So, you know, if, if the team the previous year with a very similar roster and deep lineup, um, like Memphis, they want to run and gun, but they have 10 guys who can go and do that. Now, I know minus a few players, but plus a few players as well, then uh, they're going to run. Because there are starters don't need to play 38 minutes. They're also not, you know, concentrated on their running their offense through their big man. So they run it through their point guard, who's electric, and they run. That's their style of offense. So I think you got to take into account historical data, the depth of the team, the pace of play they play at, the, um, uh, you know, just the style and tempo, essentially. And um, I think, you know, in the NBA... It's a lot easier to predict uh, trends because these lineups, you know, minus one or two players, whereas in football, there's so many collective players that make up a roster that changes the whole, you know, structure year by year. NBA, it's generally your three, four starting lineup players that are invested in the roster, that have been in the roster. They're going to play the same tempo. They're going to play under the same coaching philosophy. And that's why I think trends in NBA are the easiest to predict. I, I completely agree. My my point to that was to go back the coaching, back the Jenkins is going to make these guys run. Don't worry about who's out there. Early season, they're going to say, do it the way we've been teaching you all training camp. Do it the way we want to see this thing go. We'll make adjustments based on the players at Christmas. But for now, we're putting in the system. Let's see it work. So if you have a team like Jenkins, you're taking their overs. If you have a team like Popovich and the Spurs, you're taking overs. If you have a team like the Hornets with Steve Clifford, coaching change from James Borrego last season. Clifford plays really slow. Borrego plays really fast. So Hornets were a really over team last year. Maybe this year they're an under team. So you need to pay attention to these coaching philosophies, specifically as it relates to pace and tempo to project early season uh, totals. My last point. And and the opposite effect, Mike, I'm sorry. The opposite effect of everything we're saying with teams with fast-paced tempo, so you guys can understand a little bit better, teams like Philly, who have the 28th 
tempo in the NBA, it's for a reason. If you're structuring your offense to surround your big guy, you don't want to play fast because that guy is lumbering 280, 300 pounds up and down the court. He can't move at the same pace as these guard-oriented teams. So recognize right. these things ahead of time. Yep. Philadelphia got a few new, you know, smaller players. are going to come out with a little bit of a smaller lineup. That doesn't mean they're going to be playing faster. That's not what they want. Exactly to do. my point. Jokic and Embiid are on the court for 38 minutes, and the offense is surrounded by everything they do. So you need them. I will say, I do want to say this though: the Philadelphia 76ers like pace to totals thing is a little bit of a trap because they play slowly, but they Embiid and Harden get to the free throw line at staggeringly high rates. So their free throw percentage is so high above everyone else that even though they are a slow team, they actually hit their overs on their totals more often. So. But yes, the, the general philosophy yeah, is sure. that's a team that's going matters. to play slow because they want to play slow. Right, and efficiency matters, of course. Right, and like you All said, right. efficiency of course matters, but less shots, more likely score less. That's just a fact. Okay, last point before we get into the odds themselves is to find teams and situations to trend fade or to trend back. If you think the market is behind a situation, whether that be because you think this team's going to be really good or you think this team's going to be particularly bad and you think the market hasn't caught up to it, in the NBA, bet it for 10 straight games and see what happens. If you want to reduce your unit size a little bit because you know you're about to trend something, then do that. But, you know, make it a three-unit play over the course of six games because that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a trend situation. So, for example, the Hornets, yeah. I'm on their under on their win total. I'm also on their under in their I'm going to be on their uh I'm going to be on the other team for their point spread for the first 10 games probably. I think this team their win total is way too high. I think that's going to be reflected in their odds and point spreads in some specific matchups. I think game 1 they're already road favorites against the Spurs. I think anytime the Hornets are a road favorite that's absolutely crazy. So even game one, I'll tell you right now, I'm going to be on the Spurs plus three and a half. I actually already put that bet in. Let's let this be the segue over to talk about some of the lines themselves. Eric, two things we talked about on a previous Advantage episode early in the summer. I do want to reiterate it, but my two favorite bets that you already agreed with me on were mm -hmm. Hornets under 37.5 and Jazz under 32.5. That was before the Mitchell trade. Mm -hmm. Those lines are now sitting at 36.5 for the Hornets and 23.5 for the Jazz. Are you still comfortable going under on the 36.5 on the Hornets? Are you still comfortable going under all the way down to 23.5 on the Jazz, given those situations? How would you update your take given the line movement? As for the Hornets, I do remember that discussion um, being predicated on whether or not Miles Bridges is playing. So I, I don't know. If, do you have any more information as to that, Mike? Because if he's playing, I think they have the ability to be a pretty gritty, you know, tough, young, um, regular season team that can compete with the guards they have and the, you know, guard slash forwards. I think they're a difficult matchup. With Rozier, Lamelo's only going to get significantly better. Miles Bridges is only going to get better. I think there's upside to these guys. So I don't know if I'm as comfortable in the Hornets until I know how that whole lineup plays out. I think Gordon Hayward comes back. I think they're um, a little bit better than you 
think they are, Mike, but, um, you know, a new coaching regime, things might change. It might be for the worse, it might be for the better, but I think they do have young talent enough to compete in the regular season. I think they're hungry. Um, I don't think they're as incentivized to, to, to um, throw the season away as you are because I don't think they're as bad as some of those teams that are going to be just losing majority of their games, but... So I'm not sure on that one. I'm 50-50. I have to see what's the deal with Miles Bridges. But as it pertains to the Jazz, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable taking that under, but that's low. You know what I'm saying? 23 really and a half is now. a low number. I think, lost people a lot of I think people should have listened. We were very adamant on, and, and everybody should pay attention to this segment, is that when we recognize what's happening in the offseason, Vegas can't really react until it happens because there's a chance that it may not you know there's circumstances that they can't just loosely change their odds like that so when we knew Mitchell was gone and they were incentivized to essentially tank for the foreseeable future without Mitchell and Gobert we said slam it there what it was what Mike 26 27 or something um 32 and a half 32 and a half. We knew Mitchell I have, was gone. I have maximum, I have three and a half units on it, which is personally my max exposure that I'll play on a specific line. And when we saw that and we talked about it, Eric, I immediately went max exposure under 32 and a half. No brainer. Also on that podcast, yeah. we gave out the whole Kevin Durant situation was super in flux. We knew that there was going to be no actual good offers. We have a 20 to one <laughs> NBA finals ticket on the Nets, which is now like a seven to one situation. Right, and exactly, Mike, and that's why, you know, to be a sharp, uh, we encourage you to do research. Like, these things matter. Um, you know, when, when Mike's saying, you know, try to get ahead of this line and then potentially hedge at the end of the season, like now, for example, with the, Mike's future hedge, he has the ability to, to middle it. Um, not He might not, because they might win less than 20 games, but at any point in the season, you know, Assuming that uh, you know Vegas is pretty accurate when the final line comes out, it's tough to to, to finesse that. Twenty three and a half, he should have the flexibility to get in the middle there and potentially double out or at least save his bet. Yeah. So, um, that's a big difference that we recognize. Nine, nine games know. is massive. Right. That that massive. just a little bit of research and intuition, like. That's all it takes. And if you really are passionate about it, you know, it's fun if you want it to be a hobby, you could listen to us. But if you're passionate about it, do a little research and try to, it's, you know, identify the market and see where these are flawed lines. That's the whole game. All right. You want to, so those were my two big unders, right? You mm -hmm. want me to give you a few overs and we're going to stay in the East for these over situations. I think in the beginning of this pod, you said, sure. All right, we might have been before we actually started. You said some of the teams in the middle of the East are going to be better than we expect because the East looks like a dogfight. So I have Correct. three spots that I'm going over in the East. Okay. I'm going Detroit Pistons over 29 and a half. I simply think Detroit is too good for mm -hmm. that bottom four Wemba Nyama, Scoot Henderson tank race. I think... The Detroit Pistons are setting up a scheme where they switch everything on defense. And if they're switching everything on defense, that simply travels well in the NBA. It's an easier grind on your body throughout the course of an 82-game season. And it leads to regular season wins. If you're putting in a defensive system that is literally switch everything, you get more regular season 
middle of January, Wednesday wins because your legs are less tired. You're switching everything. You have the bodies. You have the versatility. The defense is better. Going over 29.5 with the Pistons is one of my favorite plays. Yeah, I totally agree. And on top of that, Mike, I think, it, when again, when you're trying to foresee value, um, you have to take into account something that Vegas probably doesn't include as a variable, that these rookie second-year players, third-year players, are getting exponentially better in those years in their career, as opposed to a fourth, fifth-year player where you sort of plateau. You know what I'm saying? So a guy like Cade Cunningham mm-hmm. is going to be exponentially better than he was last year, and he's a matchup problem on both sides of the floor. They have guards that are what's what's the wing? Sadiq Bay is I another mean, guy. Um, oh, Sadiq Bay. Sadiq Bay I had fifty in the game last year. Yeah, so these are two guys, like corner piece players that aren't recognized as so yet. Maybe Kate Cunningham is, but I mean, like potential All Star type players this year. Not to mention they had a great off season. They they got Jaden Ivey, who's going to produce immediately in that offense. He's going to fit in perfectly. They'll probably have Sadiq at the three, Jaden at the two. Kate at the one, and then they also got that Isaiah Stewart, Jaylen and Durant. they got that other big guy from uh, Jalen Duran, who they yeah. saying could be. If you're talking about sleepers for rookie of the year, this is a guy with just the raw skill set. Now we don't know if it's going to translate, but should it? He shouldn't have that much responsibility except cleaning up boards and being athletic, and that's what he can do. Um, they could be a problem. I like it. Great. Also, two things. One, Cade got better after All-Star break last season. Normally with rookies, you see them start well and then kind of tail off towards the end of the year because they hit the rookie wall. They start getting really tired. They've never played this physical this long of a season. Cade got better. Like that is not. Yeah, he's a franchise piece. Yeah, he's a franchise piece immediately. He's a triple double. Love, love, love Cade. Love this team. Think they're going to come out of the gates way too good to even be considered a tank team. I would be not be surprised if we're talking late in the season of them fighting for a you know bottom playing seed with like the Knicks or the Wizards. Like someone's got to get that ten spot. Pistons. So I think it's going to be we're going to be talking about the Pistons, which means they're definitely above twenty nine wins. Love the over there. Uh, another one I'm going with also following a switch heavy team, a lot of versatile bodies and more talent, more young talent than I think the public knows is the magic magic over 26 and a half is another situation. I see you a little bit weary. I mean, you're down in Florida. You got more of the home beat. What's your take on magic over 26 and a half? I don't know that they're there yet collectively. Um, I think Paolo is going to be very good. I've told you from the beginning, I'm not 100% sold on his ability, but I was a little concerned about Cade Cunningham too, so I could be wrong. I just think with them, they have a bunch of good-ish players. I think Wendell Carter's excellent, but you know, one power forward can only do so much. I think Mo Bamba's okay. I think Fultz is okay. I think Suggs is okay. I, I think Franz Wagner's good-ish, but I don't see them as taking a significant stride forward yet, maybe. In the future, but I didn't see enough. Like in in contrast to Detroit, I saw Detroit competing the second half of the season against good teams that were trying to win. I, I saw Atlanta, uh, Orlando just getting blown out far too often, even with Wendell Carter producing what he was. So I don't think they're there yet with personnel. I don't think that there's a. I, I don't know if the optimism is there yet, but that's all going to depend upon how Paulo Bunch uh, um, integrates immediately because. 
they could be a team that that's out up and early. Like, but we'll see. Um, I, I I personally would stay away from that one, Mike. You could be right, but because twenty six and a half really isn't that many. But considering that I think teams like Detroit and other teams in the East are going to make it highly competitive, I think they're one of the drop off teams. Interesting. Okay, I think where where we differ on this is I'm more sold on Franz. I think Franz is absolutely a guy. I really like Franz, and I think mm-hmm. if we're bringing back Franz and he's really good, and if we're bringing back Jonathan Isaac. Let's not sleep on a potential defensive yeah. stopper who's been compared to Kawhi coming back. I mean, don't get me wrong. I am not compared yeah. to Kawhi. I think Kawhi is well, like a top five player listen, in the I NBA. Want... Even, right, even this year, I think Kawhi is still a top six player in the NBA. Like I, That's how much I love Kawhi's game. But if you're player. going to bring in another 6'8 guy who can switch, if you're bringing in Franz who's got that size and versatility, if you're bringing in Paolo who's got that size and versatility, Wendell Carter, Wendell, Wendell Carter can shuffle his feet a bit. I like the defensive versatility, and that's kind of what I'm backing with this team and with mm-hmm. the Pistons. It's just the the ability to switch and uh, really keep up with some of the better teams in the NBA and stealing a few wins because of that. I just didn't see enough last year to, for that to be true. And, you know, Jalen Suggs has that ability defensively, but he's so far from where he needs to be. And Cole Anthony I see as like a – you know, a stat stuff and good numbers guy. He doesn't really play much defense, but um, he's a good steal yeah, guy. Yeah, Cole Anthony trash. I, I, I like Cole I yeah. like more than most people. What about, Isaac, listen, what about I'm an FSU guy, but I'm not going to call Isaac Kawhi anytime soon. So, <laughs> But I, I see the versatility. What about Fultz's former team, the 76ers? How do you project the 76ers to be this year? Their win total is 50 and a half. Mm-hmm. I will let you know in which ways I'm backing or fading this team after you give us your opinion on the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, I I think they're going to be very good, obviously. I, I think, you know, they have their core players from last year. I think they were very good last year. And whenever you have a perennial MVP on your team like that, you could feel pretty comfortable in, in locking them into a lot of wins. Now, the only thing I'm a little concerned about is that they're playing – for a deep playoff run. So there's been issues with not resting and beat and, and, and lingering injuries that have been, you know, problematic potentially in the playoffs where I think he will be getting a little more rest than usual. I think there was an MVP race that he was very focused. He might still be this year, but I think you have to put player, you know, safety first and a guy like him. And, you know, an aging James Harden might not play as many minutes so I'm a little concerned about their overall rank. I think they're still going to be good enough to get in the playoffs, and I think they know that. Um, but I think, assuming they rest these guys a little bit more, it could affect their regular season record. But if that doesn't happen and they play their full minutes and they're going like the Sun Street the regular season, then they're gonna they're gonna eclipse it. I think they're a clear over team. Yeah. Fifty and a half yeah. is a no brainer over for me. I think the Philadelphia 76ers, Eric, this is the way, this, these are my bets on the Philadelphia 76ers. Mm-hmm. Under the four and a half seed in the East. I think they're going to be better. So they're going to be ranked one, two, three, or four in the playoffs. So four and a half or better. So under the four and a half. Yep. I think they're like going it. to be over the 50 and a half win total. I'm taking mm-hmm. a flyer on them for be- number one seed in the East. At plus 500, small mm-hmm. flyer. And I'm also taking a small flyer at plus 1,100, 11 to 1 for best record in the entire NBA. Now, I agree with you, they might rest and beat a little bit. Here's where yeah. I go on the flip side 
They have an incredible amount of depth this year. They have a large amount of shooters this year. And I actually think they do want, obviously they want a deep playoff run to finally shut everyone up about Embiid and Harden and Doc Rivers. I mean, could we get three more guys in the NBA with failed playoff success to pair up and try and, you know, crush that narrative about themselves? It's like, you know, they're the perfect storm. So obviously their number one goal is a deep playoff run. But I think in the East this year, to set yourself up to do that, it's going to be let's run and gun for the one seed. Let's avoid the two, three seed. That's going to potentially be, you know, the Milwaukee versus Boston matchup again. You're going to have to play one of those two teams in the semifinals. So to avoid that part of the bracket, to lock in yourself against either the Nets or the Heat, who are likely to be the four seed, you want to get yourself the one seed. They have the depth to do it. They have the players to do it. So I love backing them to have best record in the NBA because I think this is a team that could recognize early in the season, in order to reach our goals, we need to come out and win a ton of games. We need to go 20 and 5 through the first 25 games. We need to control the one seed throughout. And in turn, I think that sets up great to potentially have a run of award tickets in for the the 76ers. They have an MVP candidate in Embiid. And if they get the number one seed, you could pretty much write and beat on the ticket right now. You have a most improved candidate yeah. in Maxi. So mm-hmm. if they get if they get the number one or two seed and Maxi becomes a guy, twenty point game, maybe he's, you know, a all-star, maybe he's like, you know, the person they add into the all-star game when there's an injury, like they did with Garland last year. So mm-hmm. uh Maxi's a most improved candidate. You have a six man of the year candidate in Melton. In the fact that they just brought in this guy, you know you're going to have – he could play the one or the two uh, for, for Maxi or Harden. He can space the floor. He's going to get a lot of minutes. He provides a lot of defensive versatility. Melton could be a sixth man of the year. You have a coach of the year candidate in Doc Rivers. I mean, if this team wins 60 games, are we giving Doc Rivers coach of the year for integrating these personalities, for controlling all this stuff? And you have an organization in Daryl Morey that's known very well – to try and send the media narrative out to get their players the awards. We know in Houston, Maury tried to get uh, D'Antoni Coach of the Year. He tried to get Harden MVP. We know last year in Philadelphia, he was trying to get Embiid MVP, stuff like that. So, for that reason, I am backing 76ers over 50.5, 76ers mm. under 4.5 seed, 76ers best record in the East, 76ers best record in the NBA, and then flyer bets on Maxi most improved and beat MVP, Doc Rivers coach of the year, and Melton sixth man of the year. I am what you could say all in on the Philadelphia 76ers. What do you think about those specific wagers that I've placed? Um, yeah, I mean – Logically, they make sense if you're going to be in on the Sixers as a whole. Also, not to mention, Mike, a disgruntled fan base, too. Like, they, Philly, unlike any other city, will be down on your team immediately when you start losing. So, incentivization to win early, there's that. Um, But, yeah, logically, it makes sense what you're saying. 100%. Should they have the best record? Should they be a one seed? It would have to then be realized that a guy like Embiid will be a likely MVP candidate. A guy like Maxi will likely have to be a most improved because that would have to just 
Um, it's like a causation. One of those hits, right? right? And since they're all 20, like Doc Rivers coach of the year right. is 20 to 1. Embiid MVP My, is 8 to 1. Maxi yeah. to win most improved is 25 to 1. So you're saying, okay, if this team, you know, best record in the NBA, 11 to 1. So you potentially can hit, like if you hit best record of the NBA and you hit that 11 to 1 ticket or you hit that 5 to 1 best record in the East, you can yeah. then potentially get a cascade of like MVP coach of the year, like one of these other tickets or, hitting or even and one of coming them back. Value, or even one of them at great value odds because one of them will hit. Assuming you have the best exactly. record in the NBA. Exactly. Right. No, no, I get the logic. Play all I of them hope. for a little bit and hope one of them hits. Yeah, I get the logic. They're not going to win every award. A team's, a team's not going to win most improved MVP coach no, of the year, six man of the year from one team. They could win. But if they're that good, they'll get one of them. One or two, and that's at tremendous value. Let's, let's exactly. everybody needs exactly. to know that too. We're not taking that at even value. But, um, my only thing with it is the logic makes sense, Mike. I'm just not as sold on that happening. Like, I think okay. the best team in the league will be the Bucs. I think the Bucs will have the best record yep. in the league. I yep. I think outside of the Bucs, I think it could be a race with the Sixers. I do. Um, I think the Heat are such a regular season cog, too. The way they play, their discipline, Love their the structure. Yep. They're just such a Suns-type regular season discipline team. And they take pride in that, I believe. So I think they're a team, but but they're big on resting players too, and they know they could get there. So, um, you know, injuries aside, you like, you like aside. the gamble, you, you like the gambling logic, but you're you're unsold as I am on the depth of the Philadelphia 76ers to 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 make the sweep happen, like I'm predicting. But yeah, you see the gambling whether, theory logic, right? And whether or not they're going to be significantly better in light of those factors that you illuminate to, but that's why you make those bets. You. You look at the surrounding circumstances and you lay a number and, and you know, they're your team you picked and there is logic there to do it. I'm just not sure they're not one of the more, one of the teams that are going to plateau. But, you know, given the situation okay. in Boston now, that could be very dicey now. It only favors your odds. So I think it's, I think it is a, a, a three or four team race and I think Philly will comfortably be within the top four and a half. So. You know, when you put it like that, you're really just racing out three teams there. So the rest would fall, right. like the awards in, in terms of the individual right. awards players. So yeah, exactly. I don't. I, I like okay. it. I just love it. One one more team. One more team out east to talk to you about, and then let's go west. Hit a few teams, and then we got some player props. Still a lot to come. Um, Chicago Bulls are the teams to talk about. I am a Bulls supporter, but now losing Lonzo for projected to be most or all of the season, I think, is a huge mm -hmm. loss. I, I think me and you are both big Lonzo Ball fans, big people who prioritize perimeter defense, uh, prioritize defense throughout the regular season. I think that the stability of DeRozan and Levine keeps this team afloat, but I don't think they're a, a top six team in the East like a bunch of the rest of these teams. So, Eric. My best totally. bet for the Chicago Bulls this season is play-in tournament participant, meaning they fall anywhere from 7, 8, 9, or 10 at minus mm -hmm. 110, a straight-up bet. I think they're pretty much not going to bottom out, but also do not have the ceiling that some of these other teams have. I totally agree. Um, when you look at losing a guy like Lonzo Ball, who's young, versatile, rebounds, assists, flexibility defensively, um, that's just one of the factors that I take into exactly what you're saying, Mike. I think that they overachieved um, last year with guys like DeRozan is a good player. Don't get me wrong. He is not that good. 
Uh, I think there was a high in Chicago. The roster seemed to be the, uh, a team to be reckoned with. But that quickly dissipated when you realize they're, they're small. They're not good defensively. Um, they're depending on older players. Zach Levine is, you could shoe him into always get injured. Um, you know, when you take in these heavy, factors. And a heavy Margaro's, mid-range team. Yes, yes. And and a guy like Vucevic, whose numbers look good, isn't necessarily a winner. Like, I think he's poor defensively. I think, you know, he's, he, I guess he, he rebounds well on the offensive boards, but they don't rebound great. They are terrible defensively. They depend on their guards making shots. And I know DeRozan's highly efficient, but the workload he carried last year, MVP type numbers, I don't see him duplicating that. I think the high is over. I think they're more on the... I think they're a team that is not in a position to win, and I think you know that'll come out early. And without Lonzo, that's going to hurt bad. I just don't see the depth there. I, I don't see the the premier player that you know maybe DeRozan's recognized to be. I don't see him as that. So I agree. 100%. And wasn't Zach Levine wasn't Zach Levine flirting with um, leaving this offseason? Like, what if this team doesn't come yeah. out too well? What if Lonzo's situation is really like a damper on the whole Levine situation? Exactly. What if this guy's asking out? What if this is like the get me to L.A., like take in the Westbrook contract? I just signed this massive big deal, so L.A. will be on the hook for my massive salary for the next five years, even though I have injury trouble. I'll be able to help LeBron and A.D. in the now. I think this could be a very potential see-you-later Zach Levine situation, which means – a lot more weight on a guy like DeRozan, a lot more weight on a guy like Vucevic, on a guy like Caruso. Like, is Pat Williams the most overhyped player in the NBA? Yes, in my opinion, I think so. So so I do like Billy Donovan as a coach, but I am thinking this team is locked in for the play-in tournament, so I love the minus 110 wow. line you can get for them to be a play-in. Eric, you said that the you felt the Chicago Bulls reached their ceiling a little bit last year. You know, DeRozan was playing at an MVP candidate. Uh Levine stayed relatively healthy. They're not going to have Lonzo again. The two other bets that I've placed for them beyond getting into the play-in tournament, they were the sixth seed last year, is for them to be either the nine or the 10 seed this year. If you want to go through the individual teams, we can. But I have a plus 475 ticket on them to be the nine seed and a plus 500 ticket on them to be the 10 seed. I actually think these are the two most likely places that they finish. If we think the Cleveland Cavaliers finished behind them last season, the Brooklyn Nets finished behind them last season, the Atlanta mm-hmm. Hawks finished behind them last season. Those three teams were in the play-in. I think those three teams are better than them now, which means if they were the six seed, they now become the nine seed, which means I am cashing my plus 475 ticket on them to be the nine seed. And then again, you might get a frisky Detroit Pistons. Could they top the Bulls and make the Bulls a 10 seed? Could we get a frisky Knicks season? Could we get a bounce back Beal and Porzingis stays healthy in Washington? I think there's some upside situations. I really like the plus odds on Bulls nine or 10 seed. Quick reaction to those before we move out west? Totally. At that value, plus 475, plus 500, 100%. I think they're a sell team. I think they're massively overrated on on hype that isn't really fair um you take away Lonzo Ball and quick note that Lonzo Ball injury seems very serious so yeah I think more likely than not that they're worried about his career at this point with a knee injury like a degenerative thing going on um that he sits out the whole season I would not be surprised I don't think this team's that good I totally agree with the other teams that you would put in place of them 
um, that have gotten exponentially better. And at that value, I this is one I'm, I'm telling everybody now, like we did with Utah, take now. Take yeah. it now. Don't wait. Don't, don't wait for the first five games of the season when the Bulls come out exactly. sucking and then they're the most likely and they're minus 110 to be the nine seed. Take it now when it's plus 475. Plus 500, plus 475, lay a lower number and, and just trust that what we're saying, that this is a value take. Yep. Okay. Let's move on. You brought mm-hmm. up, you know, this could be a career ender knee injury. That reminds me of a guy out west named Brandon Roy and his career. That's a good segue uh, us for us to go out west. Eric, I want to talk about a few teams that we spoke about, again, in that summer podcast. I want to update you and get your takes on where the lines have moved. Me and you took the Pelicans over at 43.5 or or 42.5. It's now at 44.5. How do you feel about the Pelicans over now getting up to 45 wins? Zion looks great. Look chiseled at midi media day. He kind of looks more defined than Cool E himself. And for you guys not on the Zoom, you guys don't know Cool E is quite sculpted. Looks like the statue of fucking David over here. <laughs> He's flexing into the camera right now. All right, so uh, Pelicans forty four and a half. Let's let's hear the reaction. You love it? Still Take love it. it. Lock it in. Uh, I I said it last time. Look at their roster. Look at a team who's hungry. Look at a team who got a bite out of the apple last year without Zion. They were very competitive as that seven seed. Their team collect. They're a team that I would consider putting a finals bet on, a future finals bet on, just because we, of we have a, we have a forty we have a forty to one ticket already on them. Correct. Okay, so <laughs> with that said, and I'll just say this as quickly as possible, their starting lineup will be C.J. McCollum, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, Jonas Valanciunas, and Herb Jones. All guys, and think about what you need to be successful in the NBA. You need a go-to guard scorer who can score at any time, C.J. McCollum. You need a you know a wing player that could be a cornerstone in Brandon Ingram. They have they have that. They have potentially the best player in the NBA in Zion, which is not being evaluated for that because of the concerns that I don't think should be there. You have Jonas Valanciunas, who's an excellent center, and then you have Herb Jones, who's a defensive stopper. And they have other guys, Alvarado, that, like they're they're good. And I think Devontae they're Graham. Like Correct. we're still sleeping and on Devontae Graham. Like this guy Jackson was really Hayes. good for the Hornets for a few years. Jackson Hayes, another big guy. You know, they're they're yeah. loaded. A good coach in Willie Trey Green. Murphy. Is Trey Murphy his name? The other rookie that they got yes, who, yes. who emerged really well? Trey Murphy and just you know, oh, dude, they, they also guys. drafted Di- Eric. They drafted Dyson Daniels, who I absolutely love. Right, and and that's what they honestly needed another backup point guard spot. I I, I think Devonte Graham's role will probably be diminished a little bit, but um, this is a team to buy on love, now. Love before the market okay, really great. adapts. This is a team, like I said, in contrast with the Bulls in selling. This is a buy. This is a team before they're twenty and eight, and Zion's the best player in the league. You know, buy on them now. Can I tell you? Can I tell you the real Eric? I think you're absolutely gonna love this take. I'm gonna look up the odds as we speak. The right play in. I'm thinking the way we talked about the 76ers, and I'm now applying it to your love for the Pelicans. Right? Are there awards that we could back for the Pelicans? The mm. right play for the Pelicans, if this is a clear over team, if they shoot over the number of 44.5, they're a collection of guys who are just being put together, and it all comes to fruition. The right bet is on coach of the year for Willie Green. Sure. Like if they win 52 players, if they win 52 games, we're looking at Willie Green being a, like we know he comes from the Monty Williams system. 
Mm-hmm. We know Monty just won it last year, and and easily, easily could be a a Willie Green award. The players love him. Mm-hmm. And look for Defensive Player of the Year in Herb Jones too. Guys like that, he will be guarding your best player every game, and he's unbelievable defensively. So it's the same exact thing as you were saying, Mike, with the 76ers. If you buy high on a team, individual awards should be, you know, good value takes. These things do have to happen. They have to be very good, but that's why you buy into it. It's like, a, you know, they're directly correlated. So I like yeah. it. Willie Green is Willie Green is sixteen to one in the Coach of the Year odds. Doc Rivers twenty five to one. Willie Green sixteen to one. Love the Willie Green bet. I will be placing a little bit after this discussion on some Willie Green Coach of the Year. Eric, the other team that we discussed previously and that we were both in on the over with is the Sacramento Kings. Do you still agree that Kings over thirty three point five? I think out west there's um, a bunch of teams. No, okay, wait, hold on. I think I think out west there's a bunch of teams that got significantly worse, right? So the Jazz are 30 wins less than they were, you know, projected 30 wins less than they actually attained last season. Mm -hmm. The Memphis Grizzlies are projected eight less, and they're sharped towards the under, so probably going to be more than eight. The the Phoenix Suns have, I think, 11 less wins in their win total. So, you know, the Spurs have a lot less wins in their win total. Even the Rockets Mm -hmm. are projected to tank even worse this year so my mm-hmm. question is where are those wins going i personally love a team like sacramento who is going to be doing everything they can to be getting into the play-in tournament while these other teams are going to be doing everything they can to avoid the play-in tournament i simply think that means throughout the season towards the end of the season when it starts getting to be nba silly season sacramento is going to be stealing wins they're going to be trying they're going to be trying to get that 10 9 10 seed i like the over 33 and a half a lot for this team I don't. I just Did don't I just convince that. you? Uh, no, you made some interesting points. <laughs> However, you forgot to mention the teams that have increased wins, which are the Hornets, Lakers, um, teams of that nature who are going to be better, um, which will affect the Kings by that logic. It does make sense what you're saying. If, if, if you know, so many of those teams in the West have to lose more games, who's going to get those wins? I just think that the, the Kings are bad. I think they're, they're not going anywhere. I don't think they have winning players. I think they made a. Are bad you a De'Aaron deal. Fox guy? No, I'm not. I think he's a stat stuffer. I don't love him. I think they made the wrong decision on getting Sabonis over Halliburton. You know, Sabonis and, and Fox decision. have never been guys that have been shown to win you games. They they put together good statistics, but they don't win. And they weren't any better with those guys on the floor last year. They were pretty bad. The Kings at all times. I don't think their players are good. I don't think they're deep. I think outside of Fox and Sabonis, they have players like retreads, like DiVincenzo and Jeremy Lamb. And I don't know, Mike. I I think that's a team you stay far away from. I think they're bad. Like, I think their roster's bad. I think their players are bad. I think their coaching is bad. I smell a side bet coming on the side between me and you. I I really like De'Aaron Fox. I think De'Aaron Fox is a potential most improved candidate this season. I think he he's such a stat stuffer that he could easily end True. up averaging like 20, 27 and 9 and just being a narrative guy like Ja was last season, being a highlight machine. Um, I, I, I have concerns about their defense, but I do like their depth. I mean, they added Herter. They added Monk. They added uh, Keegan Murray. They kept on to Harrison Barnes. They got some bodies this year. We'll see what they can do. Um, yeah. Agreed. I, love, Losing I do like Keegan Murray. And I do like Keegan Murray. 
I do like Keegan Murray on that note as a potential rookie of the year, though. I think that it could be a good odd place line. Um, even though they're going to be bad, I think they're invested on in, in him. And I think bad teams who really aren't going anywhere, they kind of just let their main guys flourish, like their young guns. Um, so I do like that potential flyer, but I don't like the Kings, man. Boom. Right, I, have eight, I have eight player props to give you, and they are all unders. I am riding Ooh. unders into this season for right. season-long player props. So I'm going to give them to you in a, in a few groupings. You give me an answer of, I like it, I don't like it, and I, we need to talk about it or we don't need to talk about it. You could say, yeah, I like it, obvious, skip it, we don't even need to discuss. Yeah. I hate it, let's discuss it. You know, you, you get it. <laughs> All right. Got it. The first are under for rebounds. I have five of them. Bam Adebayo under 10.1. This man has never averaged 10 rebounds in a season. I don't know why we're expecting him to average 10.1 in a season where I think he might get a little bit of reduced minutes and a little bit more of an offensive role and therefore less effort on defense. I think Bam is going to be relied upon more on offense. I think the Heat are going to be asking Bam to do more offensively because he did not show out in the postseason at all last year. He was kind Mm -hmm. of a ghost. Him having six-point games against the Celtics really fucked the heat. So I like under on his rebounds because I think his energy is going to be spent elsewhere and his minutes are going to be decreased. Bam Adebayo under 10.1. DeAndre Ayton under 10.5 rebounds per game. The Ayton drama just smells like this guy doesn't want to try. He averaged 30 minutes a game last season and only averaged 10.2 rebounds. So he hasn't averaged 10.5 in like three years. I don't know why we're going over what he's been doing previously when he's been pretty good the last few years and still not averaging 10.5 rebounds. Nurkic, Yusuf Nurkic, under 10.2 rebounds per game. The Nurk alert, I just don't see him getting that many minutes. I think with the import of Jeremy Grant and Josh Hart, you're getting two guys that are going to play in Nurk-based lineups that are good rebounders for their position. Jeremy Grant gets six, seven rebounds a game as a small forward. Josh Hart gets eight rebounds a game as a shooting guard. There are more rebounders around Nurkic this year than previous years. He averaged, he, I think he eclipsed this mark last year in averaging 30 minutes a game. I don't expect Nurk to play 30 minutes a game. I expect the Blazers to try and keep Nurk healthy. And I love Nurkic's under 10.2 rebounds. Next one, Jonas Valanciunas under 10.9 rebounds per game. We get Zion coming back. I simply don't know if Valanciunas is going to get the same minute ratio with Zion. I think you might get more Zion-Jackson-Hayes lineups. I think you might get Zion-Murphy lineups. I think you might get Zion surrounded by a bunch of shooters. And even if Valanciunas is there, Zion's presence and, and ability to control the paint is going to space Valanciunas away from the rim than he mm-hmm. was previous season, and that's going to result in less than 11 rebounds per game for Valanciunas. Love the under for Valanciunas. Christian Wood, under 8.9 rebounds per game. If we are hearing Christian Wood is going to be coming off the bench for the Mavericks, not sure if he's going to keep his head in the game enough. He's a little bit of a drama queen. Uh, he is going to be sharing the court with guys like Luca, Maxi Kleber, playing that whole space out, switching Mavericks defense. Also going to be shooting a lot of threes on offense and spacing the court. I simply don't know if Christian Wood is going to get the minutes or the time around the basket needed for Wood to get nine rebounds a game. 
So mm-hmm. I'll go through those again. Adebayo under 10.1, Aiton under 10.5, Nurkic under 10.2, Valanciunas under 10.9, and Christian Wood under 8.9. Any of those you like, dislike, or you feel we need to talk about? Let's do one by one. Start with the first one because I can't remember all Adebayo of them. Under 10, Adebayo under 10.1. I like it. I don't think there's anyone else to occupy the rebounds, but I think they are collective effort there. And if he's never eclipsed that, I don't see why he should this year. So... Um, I don't know why it would be increased from something he's never gotten. Maybe there's something with their roster construction or the pace of play they're going to play. They lost P.J. Tucker, and they're going to be starting Caleb Martin. Okay, that does change it. Someone needs to get those boards. He is a board guy. Um, I don't know. I'll leave it at I don't know. These are tough to evaluate. Next one. You could also say no play. So, okay, eight and under 10.5 rebounds. Huh? Eight and under 10.5 rebounds. I like the over. I think without JaVale McGee, he's going to see increased minutes. I don't think they have a lot of big guy presence there. I think he's a very good rebounder. Um, I think that's primarily what he's you know, best at. Um, 10.5 is a lot. I don't hate it either. No play. Okay. I actually think for for all the ones that I put on the board, this is the one that scares – the Aiton one scares me the most just because mm-hmm. the amount of public sentiment that's fading Aiton and like if the whole, if everyone's betting the under, maybe the right bet is actually the over. Um, so if I was going to cross off any of those, it would be Aiton. He will have more know. He might throw the boards too. JaVale McGee him and Monty was, hate each other now. I know, but they paid him one and so he'll play. They did. And and, right. and JaVale McGee was, McGee was usurping a lot of minutes away. Like, he was playing 14 to 16 minutes. They don't have that. Biombo, I guess, will play a little bit of that role if he's even there. But Aiton's going to be counted on a lot. They paid a lot of money to him. He's a good rebounder. I, he's young. I expect him to play more minutes. And um, whether or not him and Monty are getting along, they just paid him. So, he'll play. Monty's expendable. Nurkic. Aiton at this point is not. Nurkic under 10.2. No play for me. That guy's a board man. I know what you're saying, and I get what you're saying, Mike, with these other guards that are capable rebounders, but Nurkic consumes the paint. That guy's an animal. I know. We're just um, we're just switching out CJ McCollum for Josh Hart, you know? We're switching out Norm Powell for Jeremy Grant. Yeah, but maybe they're also better defensively now. You know, those are good wing guards. That could have a lot of potential for more rebounds per game so that should be factored in and Nurkic is a guy who just he's a beast in the paint offensive defensive him and Valanciunas are guys that I would be scared to I I actually like your Valanciunas one for the sole reason that I think he will be playing so let me say Nurk no play um I don't hate it I just don't love it um Valanciunas I like because I think that is extremely good logic even though he's a dangerously good rebounder like, he does consume rebounds. I think their style of play will be open up the floor for Zion because it's a mismatch every time. And Valanciunas can shoot a little bit. So they'll have no problem maybe integrating him into a Brook Lopez-type situation, which would lead to significantly reduced rebounds. Um, so I do like that one and the philosophy. I think it's a great comparison. Brook yeah, Lopez you know, comparison for Valanciunas is amazing. Right, because you have to think you do have a guy who you can spread out that far. Maybe he can't shoot the three, but he can shoot a little bit and put it on the ground a little bit. And you need to open the lane for Zion at all costs, like a Giannis thing. It's the same scenario. You want that to exploit that mismatch, and it is a mismatch So, with everyone. So I like okay. that one, Mike. Christian Wood? 
Christian Wood like under it. eight point nine. I like it because he's kind of soft to me, Christian Wood. Um, I don't see him being a backup. That to me doesn't make much sense. I think he's a starter. I think he's good enough to be a starter. But I think he like wait 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 wait. wait. Jason Kidd said in his press conference at Media Day, the plan is for Christian Wood to come off the bench and JaVale McGee is going to be our starter. Interesting. Okay, well, the, there you go. So 8.9 is a lot to me. And the Maverick style of play is very similar to what we're saying they would do with Milwaukee or potentially with New Orleans to open the floor. Like they play a five out. They're always going to play a five mm-hmm. out. You know, they'll, they'll have screen and rolls with Luka, but that's not going to lead to increased rebounds. That's just going to be alley-oops and, and stuff of that nature right. with Wood. But otherwise, they're playing five out. That's their style of play. That's less rebounds, maybe longer rebounds, but that doesn't necessarily help out the big guy. Um, I also think he's soft, and I, I agree with what you said on his personality. Um, I like it. I, I, I see him having like 7.2. I think that's yeah. a more fairly yeah, accurate. 8.9, so if you're getting a rebound and a half under your Yeah, project, it's a little high. Under, it's amazing value. Okay. Okay. Uh, he's, not gonna be next, he's not even going to be playing the five position. Exactly. And even when he's out there, they play Kleba and they play Wood and they're going to play – and Luka's and like 16 himself. They play, they play five outs, switch everything. No one's staying under the rim to get nine rebounds. It just doesn't happen Luka, with that team. It's not their philosophy. Over. should take Luka's over in rebounds. Yeah. Luka's over is nine itself, which is like staggeringly high. So that's how do you feel? I didn't, that's a, that's, like that's a no-bet situation average. for me. And that would be assuming he's going to average a triple-double, essentially, because he will probably have exactly. that. I, yeah, I agree. That's a lot. Okay. So, but we see it the same. Luca's going to rebound a lot of balls, but that that is a staggeringly high line. All right, Eric, there are two unders that I have for three-point shooters. Mm. Right? You ready for them? Mm-hmm. Clay Thompson, under three-and-a-half, made threes a game. Desmond Bain, under 3.2 threes made per game. Now I'll give you the rationale for both as you wince at me. Yeah. Clay Thompson has Clay Thompson has done this just once since 2015. And it happened to be last year when he played a limited game sample size, came back halfway through the year, and they told him, yo, Clay, go jack your shots. Go shoot. Get out there. Shoot as much as you fucking want. We need you to be ready for the playoffs to have a quick release and get your groove back. Over the course of a full season now, playing probably a little bit reduced minutes so he doesn't get injured, that's not going to be the role for Clay this year. Clay averaged 3.6 threes per game last year. Doing that, I am going under 3.5 this year. He hasn't averaged more than 3.2 since 2015. So I also think we have the emergence of Moody, of Poole, of... Wiggins going to be running it back of, you know, other guys on this team, Kaminga getting some more uh, clay wing minutes. They're going to say, we need to train our young guys this season. That is going to be part of their priority. Part of their priority last season was to get clay back up to speed. So I just think the situation and the team priorities change so that clay is going to be jacking less threes under 3.5. I personally love the bet. I don't know. I think that what you saw from him last year has, I, I think that might turn into more of his role because he's older. He used to be able to put the ball on the ground a lot more and, and attack the basket. 
and be a little bit of a size matchup at 6'7", but now he doesn't do that as well. I see him shooting a ton of threes a game and really not taking many other type of shots. I think they want to spread the floor like they always do. I think Clay gives them the ability to do so. I think they have no problem with that guy shooting as many times a game as he wants. Um, I don't hate your bet. I would just say that I think his role will be primarily a three-point shooter, spread the court, and, and let him just jack up threes. I really do see him playing that role in the offense as opposed to, you know, in previous it's years, you got to remember Kevin, Kevin Durant was there that occupied a lot of shots per game that he otherwise would have taken. And in the other seasons, he's injured. So it's not really a great sample size. Um, so no bet for me. I think he could eclipse that. And Desmond Bain, I, I have to say, I think over. Because that guy, so, again, so is Bain averaged Bain averaged 3.1 last year. It what felt like the most efficient, high-volume shooting you could possibly get from that guy. And now yeah. you get Dylan Brooks coming back and going to play. We got to remember Dylan Brooks played like 25 games last year. And Ja missed a lot of games. And in those spots where Brooks and Ja were out, you had Bain shooting a lot more volume. So this year, I expect a little bit less efficiency a little bit better defense because he's more of a name that you're going to have to close out quickly on. And True. Uh, I expect he averaged 3.1 last year. So I'm expecting, yes, I love Bain. I think he's a great player. I think he's going to add things to his game and be able to do more with the you're ball right. this season. Maybe put the ball on the floor. I don't think he's going to eclipse what he did from the three-point line this season. You're right. And and I, I actually agree with you because I, he was incredibly efficient last year too. So you know, that efficiency might not um, be the same. It might be. But uh, as opposed to Clay, I do agree with you in contrast where I think he will start to evolve as a player and be asked to do more offensively and help out Jaw. So slashing, whether it be that or attacking, you know, I think he will have that responsibility and that should be reducing the amount of threes. But He's another guy. He's a sharp shooter. You might want him to spread the spread yeah. the court. I just think Josh. I think Josh shoots more threes this year. I think Dylan Brooks shoots a lot more threes this year. So you're getting those two guys shooting a lot more, and you're but getting. They also Bain have the highest pace tempo, so they all might be able to. Yeah, they do. That. They. I. Talk, I spoke about that earlier this episode. The Grizzlies run and gun, right? So they get out there and they shoot. So that one's tough. Yep, These it, are it's, those are tough lines you're tacking. Yep, and I, I generally I just like to go unders on everything, and there's a reason why I'm going with you know seven unders here and hoping that five of them hit. Uh, kind of the philosophy yeah. to if these totally. guys have an injury and then they're coming back off an injury and playing 16 minutes a night for a stretch of 10 games, then that nukes their averages. You know, like those things matter a lot too. So yeah. uh, I got two more for you before we get out of here, Eric. I really appreciate the time today. We've gone over an hour. We are crushing it. Uh, the two more. This one we already spoke about but I'm increasing my exposure because of other news in the landscape. It is the Jordan Poole six-man of the year at plus 450. Eric, we bet this at plus 500 uh, over the summer on one of our summer podcasts. However, we know that Tyler Hero just got the extension and then was told that he's going to be in the starting lineup this season. It is confirmed that the Heat announced that Tyler Hero and Caleb Martin will start, and Duncan Robinson will move to the bench, and P.J. Tucker is shipped out of town. So, if we're getting Hero starting, that means Jordan Poole's biggest competition for six-man of the year is no longer even in the field, and therefore I am going to increase my exposure on the Jordan Poole play. Uh, Eric, just so that you know, the two nearest candidates to Jordan Poole in the six-man of the year odds right now 
are Malcolm Brogdon and Bones Highland. Uh, yeah, uh, everything we've been saying on this podcast where um, we're talking about correlation between record and then player, you know, individual awards. Heed this advice. This is the best line you will ever see in any sport, any individual bet, any team bet. Jordan Poole at plus 450. This is a starter who can be looked at as a second best player on a potential first team in the West. And, and the way he plays, the style, the, the highlights, you know, he's an ascending player coming off the bench that, you know, the only competition in my mind was Tyler Hero because this guy's going to be playing 32 minutes a game and he's going to probably be the second leading scorer on this team. So I don't know how you shy away from this bet at plus 450. I might even take this at an even line. Seriously. So, Eric, it's actually even at plus 500 on FanDuel. It's plus 450 on DraftKings. So I'm about to go back into my DraftKings account, cash out that ticket at even value because the line hasn't changed. So I could just cash out and then re-put the ticket in on FanDuel at the plus 500. So plus 500 for Jordan Poole winning sixth man of the year. It is now increased to a one and a half unit bet for me. I'm putting an additional unit on it. We put half a unit on it this summer. Now a 1.5 unit bet on a plus 500 Jordan Poole to win sixth man of the year. Again, closest candidates to him. Uh, Tyler Hero is still in the odds at plus 900, but like he literally was just announced to be the starter. And then we get Brogdon and Bones Highland, 13 to one and 14 to one. I am riding Jordan Poole. We know that the sixth man of the year is a scorer from a winning team. So the Warriors are going to be winning and they're going to be relying on Poole for score. That puts up a lot of points. Boston is going to play at a slow-paced tempo. Boston's going to spread the ball between five players that are going to collectively win games. So Brogdon's numbers will not be... I don't even like Brogdon as a top candidate. I don't like Bones Highland as a top candidate. I don't like either of those guys, really. Um, If anything, I would think, you know, even Dallas that plays at the slowest pace, like if Christian Wood's a guy who plays 30 minutes a game, he's an interesting player at that line. Um, Whatever he's at must be a good line. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I think Jordan Poole's a runaway. I think like okay, when Lou great. Williams is winning the award every year, he's positioned to – he's not a backup. Yep. It's and we have flawed, to think like last year, the people award. who – Eric, last year, three people who got votes were uh, Jordan Clarkson, and we know a jazz player is not going to be in the running this year. Kevin right. Love – uh, Kevin Love got votes because of his resurgent, good being a teammate, accepted his bench That's role. Done. He got a few votes. That's done. And uh, Cameron Johnson, who's now starting because Jay Crowder's gone. So, again, three people who got votes last year are simply gone. Hero out of the mix. Where does that leave us? That leaves us with guys like Brogdon and Bones Highland who are prospective candidates. They are people who are like, you know, some sharps are thinking they're smarting everyone. Stick to the script. Go with Jordan Poole. It's, it's it's so obvious that he's going it's to so be a top obvious. candidate. It's so obvious. Unless he gets hurt, he's going to be a top candidate. And, and let's say you want to get cute and, and, and stack Jordan Poole with somebody. Go with someone from a team that's guaranteed to be a top seed like Terrence Mann. You know what I'm saying? Go with someone of that nature. Don't try to pick a guy on a floundering roster or a slow. I know the Clippers do play slower. But like my philosophy is that take Jordan Poole for sure. But if you want to double out and get someone else, don't take a The other ones game. we gave, Eric, the other ones that we gave last time were Dinwiddie at 40 to 1. 
right? If he's going to be coming off the bench and backing up Luka and playing that Brunson-type role and shooting a lot and being a score-first bench player sure. for the Dallas Mavericks, Dinwiddie at 40-1, right. to one, I like... And then you got to think, who are, the sixth man always comes from a team that's winning a ton of games, right? That's, what so, I, that's my point. The Clippers will be winning a so, ton of games. Maybe there's someone there. So maybe there's someone. It's Norman Powell for the Clippers. Oh, that, that's who I mean. Not, but Terrence Mann's also a, you know, a guy who will play a lot of minutes. But Norman, Norman Powell, Powell's 25 to 1. That's an interesting one. These are guys. A these great are teams flyer. Are yes. Yep. Yep. I like Melton. Melton 40 to 1. Dinwiddie 40 to 1, Norman Powell 25 to 1, Jordan Poole 5 to 1. Stack a Jordan Poole ticket, sprinkle some of exactly. some others on the rest of them. Stack and now you lock in like four teams that are going to be potential top seeds in the NBA and then you get their score first six man guy off the bench who's going to be a, you know, prominent role on the team. Eric, With that the said, last Jordan bet that we Poole have today must be in your ticket. Yes, exactly. Jordan the Poole last Poole bet must. that we have today Yes. You, you, before, you, before you're done with this podcast, go put in a Jordan Poole ticket. Yeah. Right. The last one is Giannis Antetokounmpo to be the leading scorer in the entire NBA. Now, the last year it came down to Giannis versus LeBron, who didn't qualify, versus Embiid. Embiid had a serious scoring drop-off when James Harden joined the team. There was a Five point per game decrease. I don't know what the exact number was. Embiid's scoring went down when Harden showed up. Mm-hmm. Giannis's is pretty much a lock to be another 30 point per game season. He is a sure. plus 350 ticket right now, and he is not the betting favorite. Embiid is the betting favorite. I don't agree with that line, and for that reason, I see value in betting Giannis to be the lead scorer, the highest points per game in the NBA and playing the minimum, I think, 55 games that it takes. Giannis is durable, and he's going to score, what, 30-plus a game? At plus 350, I love Giannis, leading scorer of the NBA. So do I. So do I. Because if you look at, you know, competitors, Kyrie and and Kevin Durant cancel each other out. Let's just assume that. Because Kevin Durant's always a problem in a a race like that. He still might be, but um, I agree. You know, if you want to take flyers, too, maybe Jason Tatum. But I agree. I think I think Giannis for sure. Giannis for sure. Jaw maybe. Maybe uh, Jaw because volume. But they have a ton of guys who could get it done. Um, yeah, we know Jaron Jackson's going to be. I'm just trying to think of some names right off the oh bat. Um, you know, my flyer, and I know you hate him, but my flyer would be De'Aaron Fox. If you could get like 120 to one type odds on Fox averaging 29 points a game and ending up being one of the top scorers, no, it's a good, we know it's Donovan a Mitchell, who's always there, is not going to be there this season because he's sharing the court with Garland and some other studs. Unlimited shot volume, play at a fast pace. Yeah, I don't. Fox could do it. There's no meritocracy with that. Like highest points are highest points. It doesn't. He could be Carmelo and have terrible efficiency and have a bad record. So there exactly. are players. On bad teams, who could win this award? That has to be taken into account. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Luka, too. Of course, Luca could do it. Do you, do you like Luka, Trey Young Luka, and um, Luca's? Luca's definitely who I would say the, the, um, the closest to to I think um, Giannis. Luca's a plus six hundred. I would say a little flyer on Luca to be top scorer. A little flyer on Giannis to be top scorer are two great great bets. 
And you can't go wrong with Jokic, but he's just such a good facilitator. And now they got Jamal Murray back and Michael Porter Jr. De'Aaron Fox is 140 to 1. I will be betting a little <laughs> bit on De'Aaron Fox, 140 yeah. to 1. That's, that's good. I love that, actually. All right. Yes. Let's end it there. When you yes. know you're getting into 140 to 1 lines, you're getting a little bit outlandish. So, again, I, like I appreciate you guys for tuning in. Eric, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you introducing yourself to the DFS Today audience. These are normal conversations between Eric and I. We just hop on the phone. We talk some hoops. We evaluate some lines. We talk about trends happening in the NBA. And we post these conversations to the podcast feed, The Advantage. So make sure you are following it. NBA season is two weeks away. We are going to be rolling on uh, futures bets, uh, early NBA season trends, and some line evaluation. That is the good stuff that you get when me and Cool E hit the mics and start talking. Again, Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, follow me on Twitter, and let's get ready for the NBA season. I will be back tomorrow with another DFS football podcast, and of course, Saturday and Sunday with the usuals, so keep checking on back, and we look forward to NBA season again. Eric, thanks again. Appreciate you being here, and uh, anything else you want to say? No, always a pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. We'll do another one soon, guys. I look forward to it, but... uh... Yeah, get these bets in now, guys, because the lines will move. The ones we highlighted, take now. All right, fellas. As always, peace out.